the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Ring of Truth with Pastor Dan Sexton. Sometimes obedience to the Word of God is harder than disobeying God. But you still obey. You still obey. Sometimes obeying God's Word will lead to conflict. It will lead to pain. It will lead to difficulty. And I think our natural person wants to just avoid that. We should obey the Word of God always, even if it's the more difficult thing to do. We have so much to learn from Jesus' life, but in today's message, Pastor Dan will side in on one of the most challenging attributes he demonstrated, his obedience. You might think, well, he's God, what does he have to obey? Well, it's true, he's one with his Father. He's still capable of making his own decisions, and it wasn't always easy. We find this in today's passage, and we will encounter it later as he prays in the garden before his arrest. He chose to suffer greatly to obey his Father and bring us salvation. Now here's Pastor Dan in the book of John chapter 7 for today's edition of Ring of Truth. They challenged Jesus to go up to Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles to reveal himself to the world at the Feast of Tabernacles, but were told in verse 5 that his brothers did not believe in him. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. Uh, they didn't believe he was the Son of God. And so when they say this to him, they weren't sincere in what they're saying. They weren't sincere in encouraging him to go to Jerusalem. They're kind of mocking him here. They're ridiculing him and antagonizing him. And they say to him, hey, if you're really the Messiah, why are you hiding here in Galilee? If you really are the Messiah, why don't you go down to Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles, show everybody that you're the Messiah. I double-dog dare you to go, little brother, or big brother. Right? And you can imagine siblings talking like this, antagonizing like this. Now listen to this. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 21, it says... That Jesus' family, not just his brothers, but his family thought that Jesus was out of his mind. His whole family at this point. They thought he had lost his mind with all of this, I've come down from heaven talk. And God is my father and my father in heaven sent me. They thought Jesus was crazy, out of his mind. In fact, in, in that passage, his family goes to try to retrieve him and take him back home before he gets himself in trouble with all this crazy talk about being the Messiah. Now, 
His brothers will become believers after the resurrection. His brother James will become a leader in the church in Jerusalem. He'll write the book of James in the New Testament. James will die a martyr. He'll be put to death by the high priest in Jerusalem. He's pushed off the pinnacle of the temple and killed. His brother Jude uh, will write the book of Jude in the New Testament. Jude will also be martyred. He'll be crucified uh, for being a follower of Christ. But at this point, no one in Jesus's family is a believer. Jesus is the only, only one. And he's in a, a big family of non-believers. Now, how, how many of you here are the only believer in your family or one of a few believers in your family? Right. And that, you know, when you're the only believer in a family, you can feel very alone. You can feel very isolated. Uh, you maybe even feel misunderstood by your family. Uh, maybe you have family members who ridicule you for your faith or mock you or antagonize you for your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, pour your heart out to Jesus in that because he understands what that's like. He lived in a family like that where no one believed and they ridiculed him for who he was and who he is. He knows what that feels like to be in a family of non believers and to have your whole family think that you're nuts, that you're some religious fanatic. He knows what that's like. I would also say that's why it's important for you to have your church family, you know, and to have other believers uh, that can come alongside you. You know, when, when you're the only believer in your family, uh, I, you know, I was the first person saved in my family. Uh, in my family, we, I have a large family. Uh, there's eight kids. Uh, I'm the youngest. Um, and, you know, when I became a believer, some of the members of my family thought I had got involved in a cult or something. You know, we, most of my family didn't even go to church, you know. And so I, I, I know that feeling of being isolated and misunderstood um, and even attacked by your family for your faith. And that's why the, the church family, God's family, is so vital. It's such a lifeline when you're in that situation. Um, now, the reason that Jesus' brothers here challenge him to reveal himself as the Messiah at the Feast of Tabernacles is because, and this is important to the story, they, they're, they're telling him to go for the Feast of Tabernacles and reveal himself as Messiah. And the reason is because the Jewish people knew that the Feast of Tabernacles will have its ultimate fulfillment in the messianic kingdom. They knew that its ultimate fulfillment would be when the Messiah comes and establishes his kingdom on the earth. The Jewish people connected the Feast of Tabernacles with the messianic age, the messianic kingdom. And the reason they made that connection is because of Zechariah chapter 14. So let's turn back to Zechariah chapter 14. Here in chapter 14, uh, this describes when the Messiah comes, when he returns for us. You know, the Jewish people believe he hasn't come yet. We understand that he's coming again because the Messiah is Jesus Christ. And so in chapter 14, we have the Messiah returning to the earth. And then after he returns, what does he do in chapter 14? He celebrates the Feast of Tabernacles. And so... That's why they make this connection. In fact, even today in synagogues, 
during the Feast of Tabernacles, they read Zechariah 14 because they see that it's going to be fulfilled ultimately when the Messiah comes. So here in Zechariah chapter 14, we're just, just to touch on a few verses here. In verse 1, we're told it's the day of the Lord. Zechariah 14 begins with a description of the battle of Armageddon and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if you look at verse 3, notice what it says. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations, and he will fight, and he fights in the day of battle. So this is the battle of Armageddon. Notice the word Lord. It's all capital letters. It's Jehovah, Yahweh. Yahweh will go forth. Jehovah God will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, verse 4, his feet, his feet, so we're talking about Jehovah God here, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Here we're told Jehovah God is going to come, literally, and he's going to stand on the Mount of Olives at the Battle of Armageddon, and his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives will split in two. And then look at verse 6. And it shall come to pass in that day when the Messiah comes, the Lord God, and he's standing on the Mount of Olives, that there will be no light, the lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. It will be the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told elsewhere that he's going to destroy his enemies with just the brightness of his coming. And so look at verse 8 now. Verse 8 is a very key verse for John chapter 7. In that day, when the, when the Messiah, the Lord God, comes, and he's in Jerusalem now, and in that day it shall be, look what it says, that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. Half of them toward the eastern sea, half of them toward the western sea. The eastern sea is the Dead Sea. The western sea is the Mediterranean See, So verse 8 tells us that when the Messiah comes, living waters will flow from Jerusalem. A river will flow, a river of living water. And it says in verse 9, and the Lord, notice again, it's all capital letters, Jehovah, Yahweh, God, shall be king over all the earth. And that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name is one. So this is the kingdom age. When Jesus Christ is reigning, and when he's reigning, living water is flowing out of Jerusalem, a river of living water. Now look down in verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, that's the battle of Armageddon, those that survived the battle of Armageddon, shall go up from year to year to worship the king the Lord of hosts, and to keep, what does it say? The Feast of Tabernacles. So this is why they make the connection to the return of the Messiah, the Lord, and his kingdom to the Feast of Tabernacles. Verse 17, And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. The Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated, is celebrated, just before the early rains at the beginning of the rainy season. They need the rains for their crops. If the family of Egypt will not come up 
or enter in. They shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Verse 20, And that day holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook and them. And so anyway, it goes on here. And this, so during the kingdom age, the Feast of Tabernacles is celebrated during the reign of the Messiah. Uh, and, and so it's going to have its ultimate fulfillment then. And in the Jewish mind, that's what they associate the Feast of Tabernacles with. And so back in John chapter 7, Jesus's brothers, they encouraged Jesus to go down, to go up to Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles and reveal himself as the Messiah. He said, hey, you say you're the Messiah. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. There's no better time now than now to go down there and, and show everybody that you're the Messiah. Bro, why don't you do it? Pastor Dan will have more to share from today's Ring of Truth study in just a moment. But right now, we'd like to invite you to worship with us this Sunday morning. Here's Pastor Dan to tell you a little more. I heard recently that many people who listen to Christian radio are not part of a local church. Hey, if that's you, I'd like for you to join us this weekend as our guest at Calvary Chapel located in Columbia, Maryland. The teachings you've enjoyed here on Ring of Truth are from messages I've shared with the congregation at Calvary Chapel We have two meeting times on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. You can find out more and get directions at our website, calvaryec.com. That's calvaryec.com. Now let's get back to today's message on Ring of Truth. Turn back to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 6. Then Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. Jesus says, Not my time to fulfill. Zechariah 14. And then he says, he says again to his brothers, but your time is always ready. Ready. Your, his brothers can go uh, whenever they want to. Their time is always ready. Jesus lives according to the Father's schedule for his life. Jesus lives according to the Father's schedule for his life. The non-believer can come and go how they please. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, the person who has surrendered his or her life to Jesus, it's God who sets our schedule now. You know, our lives have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. And so he sets the schedule for us. He determines those things. You know, and and we go according to his will. He tells us when we should go. And he says, so he says to his brothers, hey, you're free to go whenever you want, but my time has not yet come. He goes on, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. The world hated Jesus because Jesus told the world the truth. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast, for my time has not yet come. And when he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. So Jesus knows that the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they want to kill him, He knows that his life is in danger if he goes to Jerusalem. That's why he's staying in the Galilee. But he goes up to the Feast of Tabernacles. Why doesn't he just stay in Galilee? Why doesn't he just remain where it's safe? Why why doesn't he just skip out on the Feast of Tabernacles 
and stay in Galilee where it's safer. Why does he go? He goes because he's commanded to go in God's word. Listen to me. Give me your attention. Listen. It would be safer for him to stay in Galilee. It would be easier for him to stay. It would be less trouble. It would avoid conflict. It would avoid danger if he stays in Galilee. But he goes out of obedience to the word of God because he's commanded to go. Sometimes obedience to the word of God is harder than disobeying God. But you still obey. You still obey. Sometimes obeying God's word will lead to conflict. It will lead to pain. It will lead to difficulty. And I think our natural person wants to just avoid that. We should obey the word of God always, even if it's the more difficult thing to do. Even if it's the more difficult thing to do. Do the hard thing and obey the word. That's what Jesus does here. Even if it's going to lead to trouble and heartache and pain and conflict and all those things, Jesus went up to Jerusalem out of obedience. Look at verse 11. Then the Jews, now this would be the the people that are in Jerusalem for the feast, they sought him at the feast and they said, where is he? So they're looking for him. And there was much complaining. There was much murmuring among the people concerning him. Some said he was good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. So, So there was a lot of discussion about Jesus. There was a lot of discussion about his character. Some among the people said he's good. Others said he's a deceiver. He's a fraud. You know, the Bible tells us his character was perfect. He was sinless. He was spotless. But no one's talking about this openly out of fear for the Jews. That would be the religious leaders now. They feared the religious leaders. Over in chapter 9, verse 22, if you're taking notes, there we're told that the religious leaders announced that anyone who acknowledges Jesus as the Christ will be put out of the synagogue. They'll be excommunicated. And so the religious leaders are now using fear and scare tactics to prevent people from following and believing in Jesus. And because of that now, nobody wants to talk about Jesus openly. Uh, They're all afraid. And at the same time, they're all looking for him. And they're looking for him at the feast. And they're looking for about three or four days. It's an eight-day feast. They can't find him for three or four days. Maybe wore a disguise. I don't know. (laughs) You know, maybe had like a sombrero on or something. I don't know. People didn't recognize him. But then verse 14 says, and watch this, it says, now about the middle of the feast, so probably about the fourth day, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And and the wording here in the Greek, it means that Jesus just suddenly appeared in the temple and starts teaching, probably in Solomon's porch at the temple. But he just suddenly shows up, suddenly appears seemingly out of nowhere in the temple and starts teaching. Now, this is a fulfillment of a prophecy back in Malachi chapter 3. Listen to what it says. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. That's John the Baptist. And the Lord whom you seek, they're seeking Jesus, right? They're looking for him. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. 
So Malachi chapter 3 said, The Lord whom they're seeking will suddenly come to the temple. And here in John chapter 7, verse 14, Jesus suddenly comes to the temple and he begins teaching. And the Jews marveled, the crowd now, saying, How does this man know letters having never studied? The, the Jews had rabbinical schools where they trained rabbis, much like seminaries. And the people marveled at his teaching. So how did this man learn this without going to one of our seminaries? Now look what Jesus says. Look at his answer. This is so awesome. Verse 16, Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. Jesus says, I got my doctrine from somewhere that's better than your rabbinical schools and better than your seminaries. I got my doctrine directly from God, and he sent me here to teach it to you. Isn't that awesome? He's standing in the temple courts, and then he says, I got my doctrine from God, and he sent me here to teach it to you. And then he like drops the mic, right? Boom, kind of thing. Look at verse 17. He says, if anyone wills to do God's will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He says, if you really want to do God's will, if you're genuinely seeking God, genuinely seeking his will for your life, you will know that Jesus's teaching is from God. And that's true. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? What a statement he's making to them. This is in the temple. He's rebuking them. Why do you seek to kill me? And the people, the crowd there, they answered and said, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Now this multitude uh, that's there that he's speaking to, this is a multitude that's from outside of Jerusalem. They're not from Jerusalem. So they didn't know that the religious leaders were plotting to kill him. They don't know what Jesus is talking about. So they say, who's seeking to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marveled. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me? Because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Again, he's referring here back to chapter 5 when he healed the paralyzed man on the Sabbath. And he brings up here the law of Moses and he brings up the law of circumcision. Now, in the, in the law of Moses, uh, when a child is born, a son's born, the law says you circumcise him on the eighth day. If that eighth day happens to fall on a Sabbath day when you're not supposed to do any work, the law of circumcision supersedes the law of the Sabbath and you still perform the procedure of circumcision even though it's the Sabbath day and that's, that's, that's okay. And the point that Jesus makes here is you allow circumcision on the Sabbath, you allow something to be... Uh, cut away from a person's physical body and I restored something to a person's physical body and you want to kill me for it and you're saying I'm breaking the Sabbath law you're taking away from someone I'm restoring back to someone and you think I break the law by doing that 
If you missed any part of today's message or would like to hear more of Pastor Dan's teachings from 1 John, you can do so right now at calvaryec.com. Just click on media. In fact, there's an entire library of Pastor Dan's messages that you're welcome to listen to and even share with friends and family. Would you do us a favor? Would you join us in praying for the ministry of Ring of Truth? Please pray for Pastor Dan and everyone involved in this program that we would continue to listen and respond to what our Heavenly Father has to say. Pray, too, for your brothers and sisters in Christ listening along with you, that they would be protected from the enemy, and that the truth and blessing of Scripture would fuel their passion for following the Lord. Thank you for taking the time to pray. Though our time with you is at an end for today, we'd like to encourage you not to shut your Bible just yet. Continue reading in the book of 1 John, or take some time to explore any of the other 65 books in God's Word. Each one reveals new aspects of your relationship with your Creator, and will open your eyes to His purpose and plans for this world, and for you. We pray you are blessed richly as you continue an extended time of learning from Scripture. Thanks for tuning in today, and join us next time for another edition of Ring of Truth. Rings true.